uh, growing up, um, how many of you guys, like, you grew up in the exact same town that you were born in? Or, okay. So uh, most, of, most people moved around, right? Yeah. And all of you move around right now, right? Um, growing up, uh, my family, we would we'd move a lot. Um, I don't know why, but my family likes to see the world. Um, and so before I was born, they moved uh, from Southern California to Northern California to Idaho to back. And um, then when I was born, we lived in Stockton, California, and we moved up to Comanche, um, and this is all in California, so I'm not going to keep saying that. Uh, Comanche, then we moved to Fiddletown, then we moved to Ione. And so, and then when I was in high school, I moved, I went to one, one school in Jackson, then I moved to uh, one in Lodi, and then one in Stockton. So we just hopped everywhere. And so for me growing up, it was really hard to make friends. Um, because one, I don't like people, and two, um, you know, when you're constantly moving, it's hard to, especially, um, I, I started going to these other schools, these high schools, where the, the kids were together since they were in preschool, you know, and so they had their own cliques and everything, it was really hard to be a part of that, you know, and, and you're the awkward kid anyways in high school, right, and you're trying to be cool enough for people, right, and so you just, it's hard to get involved, and, and then on top of that, I, I'm a weird person, um, some people, thank you for not laughing, the rest of you, except for the one that did, um, but I, because I like um, a lot of different things. So I am, you guys know I was uh, very heavy into athletics. I played every single sport there was, um, except for soccer, because that's not a sport. Um, no, I actually, I even played soccer. I played it for um, a time, and I proved that it wasn't a sport, because if I can't play, it's not a sport. Um, and so, funny thing about, anyways, it's a, yeah. Yeah, if curling's a sport, they really have, no. Um, they don't have any Canadians here, right? <laughs> no. Um, curling's not a sport. No, I'm just saying. Um, but so I had that, right? So I knew all the, everywhere I went, I would join teams. So I knew all the athletes. But um, I was never a part of the athlete clique. Um, and I am, uh, I love video games. Okay, I am a part of this generation, of that generation. Um, I have very certain ones that I play because I don't have a lot of time, but I play very specific ones. I love story-driven things because I love stories, um, and so I like to read. Um, and so you have, I like music too. Uh, but, um, you know, and so I like that. Um, and then also I... Um, Growing up, I watched a lot of TV, um, and one of the TV shows I watched a lot of was Star Trek. Um, so I knew a lot of Star Trek information, so um, I would talk with uh, geeks and, you know, and be a... Well, no, no, but I mean, I, so geek culture. I like geek culture. There's a lot of things in there that I like. Um, I, I don't do too well with nerds, because uh, there is a difference, right? Um, but because they're smarter than me. And so I don't like people that are smarter than me. Um, and so, 
Yeah, um, that's why I hang out with teenagers. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, so yeah, what were we going to talk about? <laughs> so anyways, yeah, so I, I would know a bunch of these different groups, right? Um, and so my friend group would actually become pretty weird. You know, we would have a jock, and we would have a geek, and we would have all these different types of people that would just, we would kind of just become a friend group. Um, and I, that was really nice for me because I could always talk with something about something about some, you know, whatever the topic was with someone. Um, and I even got to the point where one time I was, uh, it was freshman year of high school and one of my friends who was part of the emo group, you know, those uh, during the, the nineties and they always had the dark, you know, clothes on and everything looked weird. Um, and so I had a friend that was a part of that group and she was leaving and she, I said, you know, you know, we were just talking and she said, you know, it would really be cool is if you dressed up like us. Um, and I didn't care, you know, cause I, so I said, sure. So I borrowed the pants, I borrowed the shirt and they like did the makeup and everything. And I, I came to school one day and I was black from head to toe. And it was a really interesting experience because all the teachers that I knew that liked me, you know, um, all looked at me differently and treated me differently that day. Um, it was a really interesting experience. I had people like just yell like rude things at me, people I knew. And it was like, okay. And the next day I was back to my regular self because, you know. Um, but when I moved down here, I was talking with a teenager and we were talking about the cliques of high school, right? And how everyone falls into a clique. And, um, they're just talking about this. And I said, well, what do you, uh, they, they brought up the fact that they didn't understand how all these different cliques could be at school, but then they would come together here and they wouldn't be cliquish. You know, they would be the jocks would hang out with the, the geeks and, you know, all the, these groups would kind of melt away here and they couldn't understand why. And I said, well, what do you think about me? What would I fall into? And he says, I don't know. You're weird. You know, because they say you're better than me in sports, you know, and but you're you talk about these weird things like you talk about Star Wars or you talk about, you know, these things. Because like in our classes, I'll bring up stuff that's a part of culture to help the teenagers understand what a meaning is and what the culture says. Right. And how that's different. So he said, I don't know. This is just it's weird. And I said, well, that's because. What I have always tried to do throughout my life, even before I was a Christian, um, but because I'm a Christian, it's been really emphasized into my life is God doesn't look at people and just their likes and dislikes. He looks at them. And so I need to do the same. And so I need to look at people as they are, right? Take away all the things that they like and dislike and just see them as first and foremost a person person that God truly cares for and, and died for. And so I said, I think that's why when people come here, they kind of, there's not, I mean, there's still clickish things, but it's not as bad. Um, and so that's what we're going to kind of talk about today is this idea about being seen and being known. All right. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter one, um, ver, sorry, in verse 43. And as we get into John chapter one forty-three. 
let's kind of bring ourselves up to speed where we're at in our sermon discussion, our sermon series. We're talking about being wrecked by God. And what that means is that if we come into a relationship with Jesus because of what he has done for us, uh, there are times when we can kind of hold on to things. We can kind of say, well, God, I get to do this. You don't get a say in this. You don't get to be a part of that. Um, and God's saying, no, I get everything. And so it's really being wrecked. It's wrecking everything that we think we are and being built up, you know, in sports. We talk about when, and I would do this to our teen, my, my baseball team when I used to coach, I would have them come, and the very first day, I'd walk them through these very, um, very basic things, okay? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this right now just as a, um, an example of what we do, because this is how God deals with us. So come here. Um, I'm going to use, he didn't know I'm doing this, so this is what we're going to do. All right. So this is actually what I would do. This is what I would do with our players every single time that they would come the first day of practice. I would say, "All right, get down on one knee." Okay. Um, oh, well, okay. Which side do you catch with? Okay. You're you're left-handed. Yeah, but I catch with this hand. Yes. That, yeah. Yeah. You're, so you throw with your left hand. Yeah. Okay. So back up. Because you're going to need a little more room. Okay. So get down one knee. Okay. So this is what we would actually do. How do you feel the ground ball? Okay. So this is what we do. Look like me. No, you got to be better looking though. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. So there's a little crook in your knee. Okay. You feel that in your knee? Yes. Yeah. Not on that side, dude. This side. Okay. You feel that? You feel that? Okay. I want you to take your elbow. And put it right there, and then get your tips, your t- um, middle fingers, right, all the way down till they hit that first little kink. Okay, and this is actually what we would do with the with the teenagers, and and then I would have them roll the ball back and forth. Again, again. Thank you very much. Good job, everyone. Give him a hand. He's. Uh. But the reason why we would do that is because we would go to, we would break everything down to its basics and then build them from that point up. And that's what you do within athletics. You break everything down so that you can build back up. And this is what it means to be wrecked by God. It's coming to a place where we realize I need to be broken down to my, what I am so that God can build me up into who he says I am. And so last week we talked about this with Paul. Paul was a person, when he came into contact with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he realized that he was a wretched person. This is what we talked about last week. And so throughout the New Testament, we see this again and again, that Paul says things like, what a wretch am I, right? I am a wretched man. I am the least of of God's people. I am the least of the apostles. Because he realized who he was in his sin in comparison to Christ. And yet, every time he says those things, he points back to Christ and says, and Christ. And Christ did this. You know, when he, in Romans, um, when we talked about Romans 5.8, right? It's um, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. While we're in that wretched state, we're, Christ still loved us. When we think of things and we say things like John 3.16, right? Um, we talked about, we've, this is all review. 
We talked about how when we just say John 3.16, it becomes it so easily becomes about us. For God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. Now that's true, but why? Why did he give the son? Well, you keep reading, right? John 17, John 18, because we were in condemnation. If we don't believe in the one and only son, we're in condemnation. That's why the son was sent. That's why Jesus died. And God loves us. Even when we're in that state of condemnation, when we're in that point where we're, we have nothing to give, Christ gives everything. And so that's where we have to start. We have to understand that. That apart from Christ, we're nothing. With Christ, we have everything. And so now we understand that, now we can get into the next part, right? Because the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at how does Christ look at us and what Christ is doing around us, all right? So John chapter 1, sorry, in verse 43, we're going to look at the story of this man named Nathaniel, all right? So here we go. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. All right? So this is what we're talking about. Get your foot down. Right? So this is what we're talking about. This Nathaniel guy. And to really understand what's going on in the passage, we need to know a little bit about Nathaniel. We can glean a lot from what's going on with Nathaniel. Um, a couple things. First, this guy Nathaniel is only brought up three times. Okay? With the name Nathaniel. The first time is right here. Second time is later on in John, John 21. And there's another time in, in Acts 1. Right? He's not brought up a lot, but he is one of the 12 apostles, okay? One of the 12 original disciples, okay? So we need to know that. So you have this situation, and we get some of that, what's going on with Nathaniel from his own words. And it's that part where he says, Nazareth, nothing good comes out of it, right? There's a reason why that's important. It's because you ever have those situations where you have places that you're like, ah, that's not a very good location, right? You don't want to go over there. It's not very good. So growing up, um, I lived in the, most of the time I lived in this area. I, I own Comanche area. So if you go up to Amador County up in northern Arizona, it's this very, I think it's beautiful. It's rolling hills. It's trees are scattered. There's farmland. There's a lot of cattle. So ranches and farms um, blanket the area. Um, but... It's called the Desert of Amador County, okay? And the reason why is because the rest of Amador are mountainous, and they got forests, and you know the, the gold rush, okay? 
like that's this area. It's it's really beautiful old towns, um, and then you get Ione, which it's claimed the fame is it has a maximum security prison and a max for for um, adults, and then it has a maximum security prison for juveniles. Like that's its claim to fame, you know. So it's it's looked down on by the rest of the the county. And so this is what's going on here is you have the Judean area, so Jerusalem and, and that, and they look at the Galilean area where this is where this is taking place. And they, they look at it and go, ah, those people, right? Those backwater people, they're just a bunch of hicks, okay? So there's kind of this disdain. But then even in that, we learn later on in John 21 that... Um, that Nathaniel is actually from a different town, the town of Canaan. And that is also in Galilee, but it's better than Nazareth. Nazareth is the worst of the worst. And there's a lot of reasons why. One, there's a lot of um, unrest here. So there's a lot of people that come from that area that are very much wanting to kick out the Romans, you know, overthrow the government type of people. Um, but also... As far as historically, um, biblical hist- history, Nazareth isn't exactly well known, right? There's not a lot that goes on there. Um, you, you have Jerusalem, you have Bethlehem, you know, these big names. Um, Nazareth is not one of those things. So everyone kind of just has this disdain for Nazareth. It's not worth it. It's just there. And so when Nathaniel says nothing of good comes out of that, he's being really honest. He's like, there's nothing. There's nothing there. You know, it's like when people, I tell people, they ask me, I'll go to Phoenix, and they'll be like, where are you from? And I'll say Quartzite, and they're like, where? And I tell them, well, on your way out to I-10, that's one of the last RV, or that's one of the last gas stops. And they said, oh, yeah, okay. You know, but there's tons of places like that, right? It's like you blink and you miss it. You know, you don't want to stop there. You look and you're like driving and you go, eh, maybe I shouldn't stop here. You know, there's a lot of that and that's Nazareth, right? That's the idea here. And so Nathaniel has this, this disdain for Nazareth. So that's one of the big things. The second thing is he goes by another name in the rest of the Gospels. And in the rest of the Gospels, he only gets listed. There's never a story about him. This is the only actual story about him. And, and the only story other than this that is talked about, it's, he's a background character. They're naming off a bunch of people that were there, but it's about Peter. The story's about Peter, and that's Acts 21, or, uh, John 21. But in the rest of the Gospels, he's actually called another name, and it's Bartholomew. Okay, so if you know your apostles, it's Nathaniel and Bartholomew, those are the connection here. Nathaniel is probably his first name, and Bartholomew is his last name, okay? And so for his last name, this is actually how it's said. It's called Bartome. Okay, so it's Bartome. This is his Hebrew word, or his Hebrew name, and it means son of Tome. Okay, and so scholars, they, you know, you start looking through the Bible and say, okay, who is Tome, right? And you start going back, and you have to go back to, to Samuel and Kings. This is where this is, so... Uh, First uh, and Second Samuel, you start going through there, and you get to Second Samuel, and this is where it is. Tomei, he's a king of uh, Geshur, and he gives one of his daughters to King David, 
and she gives him kids of Tamar and Absalom. So you might have heard these names. Tamar uh, gets raped, and Absalom, her brother, comes in and gets his revenge. Okay, And so this is where Nathaniel's bloodline comes from. And so he's the closest to royalty of all the disciples. And so maybe that's a part of it. Maybe he's, it's not just he has disdain for Nazareth, but he has a, a disdain. You know, I mean, if you've ever known someone that comes from a, a place of, I'm going to use this word, and, and it's a word that gets used a lot, and I think it's misused, but a, a place of privilege, you know, where the, everything's been handed to them. I mean, how many people just hang out under fig trees? Nathaniel was just kicking back one day under a fig tree. You know, so here's a guy that he's probably a descendant of David. He probably is well-known in his area. He has a disdain for these other people. And when he is approached by his brother Philip, and Philip's like, hey, man, we, we found the Messiah. We found this guy. He responds with, nothing good comes out of that place. Yet, reluctantly, or because he's curious, he goes to find it, right? And so the question becomes, well, what wrecks him? Because he goes up to Jesus, and if we're following this, so let's, let's walk through this. So he says, Nazareth, can any good come out of there? And Philip says, come and see. Just come and see. Check this out. Okay. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Now this is really interesting. Jesus is pointing out a characteristic of Nathanael here. He's saying this guy, you know, he's a straight shooter. You know, and we already see this, right? He's like, I don't know, Nazareth, you know, a bunch of bumps type of thing. And then Nathanael says, how do you know me? You, there's something that's off here. When Paul encounters Jesus, he uses an honorific. He says, who are you, Lord? Right? There's some honor given here because Paul recognizes this is, I just got knocked off my donkey. I'm, I'm, nuts. I'm hearing this booming voice. You know, something's going on. Who are you, Lord? What does Nathaniel do? How do you know me? Now, I, there's a couple ways that he could have said this. He could have said it questioning, how, how do you know me? There's a kind of the more arrogant side. How do you know me? Right? But it doesn't matter because he doesn't, he doesn't think this guy is anything. Right? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So he just goes, how do you know me? Like, how do you know anything? And so what does Jesus do? What does he say? I saw you while you were still in the fig tree before Philip called you. This is what wrecks Nathaniel. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree when Philip, before Philip called you. Now think about that. Jesus saw him. This is the big thing. Jesus saw him. You ever been doing something and you, you think you're alone? But then you have eyes, and they're just watching you. This is the life with kids, right? It's like right there. You know? It's weird when someone says, yeah, I saw you over there. I get that a lot. 
I saw you, you know, you're over there, you know, doing, I don't know what you're doing, you're weird, you're just over there. You know? It's weird to have someone see you. But it's weirder when they weren't there to see you. And this is Jesus and Nathaniel. I saw you. I saw you under the fig tree. You know, there's only two people that know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. Nathaniel and Jesus. How do you know me? I saw you. That's huge. And what's Nathaniel's response? He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Everything that Nathaniel just said before that has been changed. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. You are the Son of God. How do you know me? You are the King of Israel. Everything just changed. Why? Because Jesus saw him. He says, I saw you. That's huge. Because the understanding of God seeing us is gigantic in the scriptures. So just to give you a couple examples of this. So we're going through Matthew, um, through the book of Matthew, through our summer uh, series. And in Matthew 6, you get this string of these I see um, passages. So Matthew 6, 6 starts it off. And it's this idea that, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there's this, this seeing, right? God sees you in the secret place of prayer, okay? Well, it continues. You drop down a few verses, um, and then you get uh, this. It's talking about fasting. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that when... So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to the Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there's this constant seeing, right? And it's this constant, this, okay, you pray, do it in secret where God sees. You fast, do, do it so no one sees. It's only God that needs to see. But then you get down to this next part. It's uh, verse 26. And it says, look at the birds of the air. This is a, the worrying passage that we talk about. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? This follows the seeing passage. If God sees you in secret when you're praying, if God sees you in the secret as you're fasting, aren't you pretty important? God sees and feeds these other things. What about you? He sees you, right? He how much more important you are um, to that. And then we get other passages. So Jeremiah 1, uh, 1, 5, you get this. Before I formed you, this is God talking, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is God saying, I know those inter... This is seeing language. I, I see you in the womb. In fact, who's putting you together? It's God. And the psalmist in Psalm 139, he, he echoes this kind of idea. He says, for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So this idea that God is seeing us is huge. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, it's not going to be up there, um, but it's is, um, Genesis 16. In Genesis 16, you get this beautiful story of Hagar. 
And Hagar, uh, if you don't know the story, it starts out, so God promises Abraham a son, right? He promises him a son that all the nations will be blessed through the son, right? And we find out that's Isaac. It's down the road. But Sarah doesn't believe it, and she can't have kids, so she figures we'll do it our own way. And how do we do that? We're going to get Hagar. And Hagar is a slave. She's going to give him to Abraham. Abraham's going to sleep with her, and then they're going to have kids through him. And this happens. She gets pregnant. And Sarah gets upset. Ladies, you can't put your guy into a situation like this and then get upset with him. Okay? Um, I hope none of you put him in a situation like that. That'd be weird. But don't get upset with him. But anyways, so she starts mistreating Hagar, right? And what does Hagar do? She runs away. But the beautiful part is this. If you're reading through this passage, God never appears to Sarah. Appears to Abraham and, and Sarah, there are points where she's a part of it, but he's appearing to Abraham. But he appears to Hagar. The angel comes down and um, there's something about this angel that's very different. And we've talked about this in the past. I believe this is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. And he talks to Hagar. And through this interaction, at the end of it, you know what she says? She calls God a name. She calls him El Gabor, the God who sees. God seeing us, knowing us, the two are equated, knowing us is huge in the Bible. Because it's so easy for us to desire to be seen and then go after different things to be seen by. A lot of times it's, I want my 15 minutes of fame. Right? It's, I want to be known by other people. It's, it's when I'm in a situation and I get, I'm doing something, right? If you're at work or maybe you're working on the RV and you're doing something really neat and then you get done with it and you're really proud of it, and maybe your boss goes, yeah, and there's something else you need to do. And you're thinking, you can't at least admire the fact that I just did all this work? You know, this is what kids do. Let me draw you this picture. Let me show it to you. Right? See me. See what I've done. We do the same thing. We do the same thing with people. Notice me. This is what legacies are, right? I want my kids to know I want them to remember their grandfather, their grandmother. I want them to remember me. This is why people want to build statues. Because they want to, you know, see. They want to put it up there. And so this idea that, that God sees us transforms Nathaniel. He goes from this guy that's, that's kind of has this disdain and he just goes into, um, people have called it the abandoned life to God. You know, just, God, wherever you want me to go. And so the rest of Nathaniel's story, right? We don't see it in the scriptures. He just becomes a, a list, a name to be listed. So what happens to Nathaniel? So uh, the church historian Eusebius, he writes that what happens to Nathaniel is he goes over to India 
and he takes the Gospel of Mark with him, or Matthew, takes the Gospel of Matthew with him and leaves it in India. And then he goes to Armenia, um, and he goes, and when he goes there, he starts the, the, the church, he calls people, he's actually with Jude, the writer, Jude. Um, and then you find out the only things that we know. So he went to India, brought the Gospel of Matthew there, and then went to Armenia. And you know what we know next? He was filleted. Like, literally, he was alive and they skinned him. Like, that's what we know next. And then we don't even know exactly how he died. And you're like, well, probably the filleting, right? No, that's not... It was either he was crucified or he was beheaded or he was both. They just don't know. But that's what... That's how Nathaniel's story ends. And you know all the stories we know between that? Nothing. Nothing. And I think Nathaniel will be okay with that. Because God saw him. This was huge. So does it matter that we don't have the history books of here's Nathaniel's life, right? We can do that with Peter, we can do that with Paul, we can do it with John, the big three, right? We know their lives. We know where they went, at what time periods, you know, all these things. But with Nathaniel, he was just another listed. I think he'd be okay with that because God saw him. Everything else that mattered after that moment where Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. His whole life was changed. And we have to get to this point in our own relationships with God where we say, okay, God, nothing else matters except I'm seen by you. That's it. That's all. Everything the world says Everything the world desires me to do, it doesn't matter. I'm seen by you. And when that happens, I don't need the boss to pat me on the back. I don't need my, my spouse to say, you know, good job with this. I don't need all these things I think I need so that other people will say good job and, and build me up. Christ has already, already saw me. I'm already... Accepted. I'm already careful. This is something, you know, um, counseling people that are dealing with suicidal thoughts, this thing that comes up a lot is, I don't know if anyone cares. They want to be seen. They want to be known that they're loved, that they're cared for. Well, the reality is, us as people, we do a very poor job at loving each other the way we're supposed to. Even people we love. We fall short time and time again. This is why when people say, well, I don't want to go to church because they're hypocrites. Well, yeah, because we fail, right? We fail at loving. That's why we need to only be looking towards Christ. God, you see me. You love me the way I need. That's what I need. Not from each other, though we should be encouraging and loving each other, yes. But if I, and this is... I don't know if you, you've done this. This is how I do counseling, premarital and marital counseling. I tell everyone the same thing. How much are you supposed to give to your marriage? And the number one answer I get is 50%. I'm supposed to give 50-50, right? No. It's 100 expecting zero. This is the reason why. We give 
And this is in anything. You can apply this to anything, jobs or anything. You give 100%, expecting zero in return, you'll never be disappointed. But if you expect, if I do this, they will do this, and then they don't do that, now you have a conflict. Now there's a problem. Why? Because we need from each other. We make the person God to where they are to fulfill a need in us. And the only person that can fulfill that need is God. And so, God, you see me. I don't need the world to see me. I don't need the legacy. I don't need the recognition because you saw me. So where is your fig tree? Right? Here, so God, I'm under this fig tree of the road. I'm driving on the road. And I really want to, you know, cut that guy off. Right? Or my, neighbor, my neighbor's yard. Man, they're just, they play the loud music. I would like to get one of those things, those sonic things where you just put it, turn it on and it makes their ears bleed. You know? <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's what I want. But God, you see me under this fig tree. So God, what should I do? How can I better love them? How can I show them your grace even though they're showing me nothing? Why? Because you saw me. You saw me first. And so just this understanding of, okay, God, how can I better follow you? Because you have seen me. Even in my sin, even in my wretchedness, you still saw me and you loved me enough to die for me. So my challenge then for you is this. This is that next step. Is go before God and ask, Lord, who do I want to be seen by? You know, because God, do I want to be seen by my spouse? Do I want to be seen by my friends? Do I co-workers? You know, politicians? Who do I want to be seen by? Okay, Lord, help me to put away the desire. Have that desire be taken by your, your Holy Spirit. Take it away from me so that I only desire to be seen by you. So that when I get into situations where I want to punch that guy's lights out, I know I'm being seen by... You see me in that moment, God, moved by your Holy Spirit. Take over my words, take over my actions. Because if I do it on my own, there's going to be problems. You see me under this fig tree. Do with me as you will. And, and so, and if we're, we're in this point where we're just like, God, I want the desire of the world. And this is the thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't talk on current events. Um, like what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. I don't talk on those. I don't do like series on things like that because we'd be doing those all the time. We'd never get to the Bible. Um, but God still sees. He sees what's going on. And so God, the Christians that are there, you see them. Help them be light so that other people that are going through all these things are, are literally going through a hell right now,
would see that God sees them. Because one of his children reached out to him. What did Philip do? Come and see. What are we to do? Come and see. And then God can say, I saw you under your bed. I saw you under your kitchen table. I saw you in fear and disbelief. I saw you. So that they may say, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And God uses us for this purpose, for his purposes. And then next week we'll get to talk about more about what that is. Does that make sense? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for creating us and knowing us and making us into the people you have called us to be through your Son. Jesus, thank you for seeing us. Thank you for seeing us under our fig trees, under those, those points in our lives where we're just doing our own thing and calling us to yourself. Thank you for that. We ask by the power of your Holy Spirit moving within us that we as a called people, as a seen people, would, would reach out to those around us that feel like they have not been seen, that they feel that they are drowning in this desire to be known and to be seen. And Lord, they don't know that you are watching them and seeing them and love them. And so Lord, send us out like Philip, that we would call people to you, that we would just say, come and see the Savior. Come and see this person that we've been waiting for. That we know, we know you, Lord. And so... Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here, that you would use them in a mighty way this week, that they would be the Phillips of this town, that people would, would talk with them and they would see Christ so mightily in these lives that there be no, there be no denying that you have saw that you have seen people in their place. And so, Lord, I just ask by the movement of your Holy Spirit that we would be better speakers of the gospel, better listeners to who you, to who you are, to what you say in your word, to what you move by in our spirit, and that would be more open for you to speak through us and to do things through us. So that in all things you are, you are given all glory that you are deserving. And we get to watch and we get to enjoy watching you work. And so, Lord, we just thank you because we are brought into this wonderful relationship with you. Not by anything we have done, but because you are good and gracious. And it's only through Jesus, Lord, we just thank you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. That we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, but you gave it to us. And so, Lord, we just thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.